Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 98th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm great today, Cameron. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It is my wife's birthday in two days. Oh my gosh. She'll catch up to me, and we'll both be the same age. Congratulations. I'm, I don't want to say how old I am. Okay, that's fine. You know, speaking of getting old, I had one of those moments today where I woke up, and my foot is just like in terrible pain, and it like has hurt all day long, and I'm like, man, this is this, am I getting old? Like, I there's literally no reason whatsoever why my foot would be hurting, but it just is hurting, and I guess that's part of getting old, huh? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you just wake up, and you're like, okay, I guess I slept wrong R- slept wrong on my on foot? your foot <laughs> <laughs> I, like i said i have no idea i wow. don't know what's going on that's wild well my condolences to you thank you very much uh kyle it seems like a lot of people really liked last week's episode we did a uh, part one of a look back over uh the career of head coach barry odom at missouri so we're doing part two of that episode this week of that episode we're doing part two of that this week of that retrospective yes yes uh which means the seasons 2018 2019 you know uh one thing that the COVID 19 uh has given us is a little bit of time to reflect mm-hmm. on the past you know i think a little one, too much time some could say but a little too much time <laughs> but um it has been interesting how uh, just seeing all of the uh the, like you know the jordan documentary was kind of the one, one the first big thing that happened and i don't know just even on a smaller level like we've we've had time to just look back on on past events but uh you know we're normally always just thinking about the next the next thing the next thing whatever mm-hmm. but um yeah it was kind of interesting just to digest the the first half of the Barry Odom era and just kind of look back at what happened we talked about the ups and downs there were a lot of downs um but if you are just jumping in this week do encourage you to go listen to last week just so you can get the first half of the conversation um yeah the first two years of his tenure were not the best but had some promising moments um so go check that out before we get into part two i want to remind everyone to go check us out on youtube subscribe there if you can recommend us to your friends leave us a review on the podcast service you listen to it's greatly appreciated and um we do have a few news items before we get into that meaty topic of the show um, Kyle, I'll just throw this out there. Illinois has announced that their home football games, uh, assuming they happen, will be limited to 20% capacity crowd. They must maintain six-foot social distancing, and there will be no tailgating. Of course, insert some kind of joke about that being very easy for Illinois to fulfill. Um, you know, it's it's a little bit remarkable to me that we're still have hope for fans to be in the stands you know in my mind i feel like i've kind of just blocked that out as a possibility as far as an expectation i'm at this point just hoping that we can have games so i guess that's good that we're still talking about having fans in the stands even at all um i'm has have you heard anything about other schools come up and it's interesting that illinois is making those decisions on a school basis because it feels like a lot of stuff is conference wide Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, maybe they're just trying to um, set the trend for the conference. Maybe they want to be kind of on the forefront of that. I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, just thinking about fans being in the stadium at all, 
is, I don't know, I guess what kind of environment that would be. Maybe you have to think about that a little bit. You know, if you're all spaced out in 20% capacity, Mm -hmm. I mean, even Illinois probably averages well over 20% capacity for their home games during an average football season, maybe not towards the end of the year, but at least when there's hope at the beginning of the season, (laughs) uh, that's usually not a problem. I'm sure some of that will have to be visiting team too. I don't know what they'll have to do. I'm sure they'll have to allow some tickets for that as well. Yeah. Although, yeah, with, uh, you know, people not really being supposed to travel and all that kind of stuff that Mm -hmm. throws another wrinkle into it. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if we end up um, when it's all said and done, having a situation where there aren't any fans at all. Mm-hmm. And that may be sort of a compromise in order to get the games played. Perfectly fine with me as long as the games are played. Yeah. That would be very bizarre, though, to sit in a stadium that's almost empty Yeah, for the whole game. Like a kickoff, it's almost empty. It'd be like, I <clears throat> have a feeling it would feel like watching a practice almost, mm-hmm. where the crowd just wouldn't be too terribly into it. And you'd be hearing a lot more. You know, you'd be hearing the whistles, you'd be hearing the the players and coaches maybe more do you think that impacts the performance at all of the players like maybe their ability to kind of get in the the zone if you will um w- remember there was a florida player that criticized mizzou's home field or the fans because they said it was too quiet, quiet. and this was a defensive player so I don't know. I guess isn't it supposed to be quiet already? Yeah. Whenever the visiting yeah, that's, teams on defense, right? That's kind of the the stance that we've always taken. But um, so I guess if the home defense noticed that it was particularly quiet, and the offense was able to, you know, make all their calls and were never disrupted by any crowd noise, that especially if you were a junior or senior and you went to a school that always had a packed out stadium that was insanely loud and it was a really tough place to play. Um, that might be pretty disappointing if you're a defender and you knew you don't have that home field advantage, that 12th man uh, helping you out, maybe getting some uh, false start calls or something like that. Well, maybe the 20% that they allow in will be the biggest super fans of every respective team. And Make they'll for be, the lack of yeah, they'll be noise. yelling really loud. <laughs> maybe so. Uh, did you see, I'm sure you saw Eli Drinkwitz was asked about playing in front of a sparse crowd, and he said... I think the quote was brother I played in the or I coached in the Sun Belt. Yeah. Which is That was hilarious. A direct shot at that conference and their fans basically yeah, some, that some they don't show like, up to all games. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I wonder what Appalachian State fans think about that, but I'm sure he's referring to the away games against bad teams where they just didn't show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a couple other what was some other uh, funny quotes he the had this past week? Lou Saban oh yeah jeez like that you have to just look that one up because it's too that much had, to try that had to levels explain. to it yeah but uh pretty clever joke by him and uh yeah it does make a difference who's coaching that alabama team i think i would take lou if i was going up against him <laughs> uh some other random news the atlanta falcons released their all-decade team and i don't know if this was multiple teams or just one but um Sean Weatherspoon and William Moore were both named to the Atlanta Falcons All-Decade team. And so I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, Mizzou made, uh, former Tigers. Um, They were really in their prime at Mizzou right when I think you and I first started really paying attention to the teams. Yeah, we were pretty young. And uh, I do have a specific memory of William Moore, I think, 
getting a pass interference call and then letting an interception go through his hands or something like that in a really big game. And so I was kind of as a as a youngster, I was kind of down on oh, wow. uh, on uh, William Moore. So I definitely remember going to some games, and I was I probably would have been in middle school in the 2007 2008 seasons um but i remember everybody saying spoo oh, yeah. and everything oh yeah but so that's pretty and cool. i think we were at a game or maybe it was just me but i think we were at a game where he was being recognized on the field mm-hmm. and the whole yeah. crowd yeah. um gave that cheer and that was really cool yeah that i to be honest i'm a little bit surprised that both of those guys made the all decade team um like you said i'm not sure if it's i didn't just, look through the whole team one team yeah. it is just one team there's not like a first team second team i knew both of those guys had good careers uh for atlanta but to be completely honest i wasn't sure that they were that impactful but that's that's great that's great news yeah uh kyle what do you think about this missouri high school sports association known as misha has announced that high school sports are moving forward with practices to start on august 10th and games to begin on august 28th well, uh, as somebody who really wants football to happen, uh, that is good news on that front. I mean, obviously you want uh, everybody to be as safe, as healthy as possible, but if they feel like that they can operate uh, and do that successfully, then I'm on for it. Yep, there's uh, people who have to make these decisions that I hope are much more informed than I am. Uh, now, maybe they have other uh, agendas or ideas that they are moving forward with, but yeah, seems like good news to me, and uh, hopefully that means at some point we will actually be able to attend a tournament of champions. We'll actually get to watch uh, Anton Brookshire play basketball. <laughs> that would be a really sad thing to miss out on. Um, we already did that once when he was supposed to be playing in the state championship tournament uh, last spring, or this past spring. All right, let's get into the big news and that is well sorry false alarm one more smaller news uh missouri basketball has offered a 2023 recruit named gus yalden he's a 610 power forward you sure he's not 67 he is 610 wow he's a pretty big guy that's a big boy yeah Uh, 2023 so i to be honest do not know anything about him he is a other than he's, he's six, a six ten. ten power forward in the class of twenty twenty three, and his Twitter handle is Gus Bus. Okay. All right. Now the big news, Kyle. Talk to me about some football commitments. All right. Yes, we uh, got two defensive line commitments this week. Uh, Jonathan Jones. Mm-hmm. He is a high school player uh, from Texas, and Daniel. <clears throat> Robledo. I don't know. I, sure, that sounds I'm fine to me. Not sure how to uh, say his last name, but he is a JUCO defensive end uh, from California. So the number one JUCO defensive end in the country. I think so. Yeah, I think uh, according to two four seven twenty four seven, some might some might say. Uh, I believe Missouri has the two top weak side uh, defensive end commitments uh, according to their rankings. So, uh, and that's Shamar Pearl is the other one. So that that's huge news. Uh, obviously, we talked about it. We talk about it every single time Missouri gets a defensive line commitment, but that's huge for uh, not this upcoming season, but the following season's depth. Uh, we we need a lot of bodies because oh, yeah. we're going to have a lot of departures. So yeah. defensive line was very thin. They there was not a whole lot uh, coming in. Mm-hmm. So yeah. and, and it's not surprising whatsoever to see them going after multiple JUCO targets targets too, because they just need 
a few older experienced players to come in who can contribute immediately. So um, definitely a a huge addition um, for immediate playing time. And then obviously Jonathan Jones is, is a nice addition for uh, maybe a little bit a little bit more uh, playing time down the road. But, you know, Jonathan Jones, I, I watched his film. Um, he's super powerful. Um, he would just destroy the offensive player he's going against, which, you know, looks really good on a high school film. Um, you know, obviously there may be some concern about his – you know, agility can, does he have the ability to get around the, the, uh, the offensive player or is he just destroying people because he's bigger than them now? Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I think he showed the athletic ability that he can, he can be capable of those things for sure. Um, Robledo really good movement on the outside. I think he'll be a, a force from day one for sure. Sounds fantastic to me. I'll take any help we can get on the defensive line. Need to try to restore D line zoo. We're about to talk about the uh, collapse of D-Line Zoo, unless you have any other news that we need to cover first. So we covered a lot of the collapse of D-Line Zoo in the previous episode. We talked about part one of the Barry Odom era. Um, I think that kind of all started with Coach Cool, the offensive line coach, or, or defensive line coach, sorry, uh, getting passed over for the defensive coordinator job, and he left for Miami. So if you want to hear us talk about that, go check out last week's episode. We are moving on to part two of the Barry Odom era retrospective. And it brings us to the off season before the 2018 season. And we had some shakeups in the coaching staff. So um, halfway through the 2017 season, DeMonte Cross was fired uh, as defensive coordinator. Am I getting my timeline correct here? Yes, I believe so. Did you say offensive coordinator? Defensive coordinator. And he was replaced by, for the 2018 season, he was replaced by Ryan Walters. And then uh, the Josh Heupel is his name. He left to take the head coaching job at UCF. And he was replaced by Derek Dooley, which was a surprise candidate. I'm not sure how welcome it was, but he ended up being the offensive coordinator after being head coach at Tennessee and then wide receivers coach for the Dallas Cowboys after that. Yeah, I actually think both of those, that I think the Josh Heupel departure, taking the head coaching job at UCF, who at the time, and probably still is, a very good program, and I mean, they were fighting for the the, for the playoff. Mm-hmm. Um, Undefeated season. Yeah, so... National champ, some people say. <laughs> they say. Yeah. For him to take that job, I think that was like, okay, wow. Yeah. Um, Can't and he, really blame him. And he's actually done pretty well there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then the Derek Dooley hire, um, you have to I, – I do not believe that that was their first choice. I think that they swung and missed and maybe couldn't agree to some terms with some other candidates. Um, you know, in that, in that first season, Derek Dooley did okay. Um, I think he had some good moments. I think he brought uh, a, definitely a different look to the offense. It was seemed to be a little bit – maybe a little bit better balanced. You know, the Josh Heupel offense was just – just throw it deep and see what happens and put up crazy numbers and that didn't always translate to wins and uh, I think in this 2018 season it felt like maybe the offense was working for wins rather than for stats Um, at least that was at times what maybe it felt like well and that played out in the efficiency numbers according to S&P plus uh, the number eight offense in the country in 2018 which is insane Mm -hmm. and then number 25 defense um, the advanced metrics always liked Mizzou that year. 
Um, they finished the season 12th in SP plus, and they were actually a top 10 team according to those metrics for most of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, finished the season eight and five, four and four in conference, which ended up being actually a disappointment uh, when you consider some of the results here that we'll get to. Um, started off the season, any other off-season stuff you want to cover? Started off the season by blasting Tennessee Martin. And then we, all three of us, I think, attended the Wyoming game at home. They won that one 40 to 13. I remember Albert O maybe having a couple touchdowns on that one. We did not attend that one, but okay. they still uh, they still destroyed Wyoming. West Virginia? That would have been 2019. That was the next year. Yeah. We did not see them play Wyoming at home? Mm-mm. What game did we go to? Did we go to a game that season? Probably. Keep reading them. All right. <laughs> we'll get there eventually, I suppose. <laughs> uh, then we challenged and broke the curse. Uh, we went over to Kyle's house and watched Missouri play Purdue, and it looked like that was going to not go well. But they pulled it out, uh, won that game 40-37. to 37 That was a good game. At um, Purdue. I remember, um, I believe Emmanuel Hall got hurt in the middle of the game, but came back and ended up making like a huge play to help, to help win the game. Um, <clears throat> I think that was really, I remember that being one of the first times I felt like I was watching Drew Locke really try to win a game. Like he wasn't, uh, like, like I really felt like he was willing the team to a victory. And, um, you know, I think that we had always, I at least personally had always kind of wanted to see that from him. You know, I know he can, you know, do the dazzling play. I know he can throw five touchdowns in a game, but can he just orchestrate a close victory? And I think that in that game, he really proved at that time that he could do that. Was that the, uh, one of the first games where Mizzou, where we realized that Mizzou might have a problem with backup quarterbacks? Uh, was that David, David Blau? Blau? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> he put up like 500 yards passing. Yeah. Okay. I think you're right because I think they, am I remembering this correctly? They had like kind of two quarterbacks yeah. and David Blau was supposed to be like the backup, like yeah. kind of the more, more like the running runner. quarterback. Yeah. And he ended up just throwing, yeah, throwing for yeah. unlimited and yards. And they just like mounted a ferocious comeback. Yeah. And Missouri well, like, should have should have had it in the bag at one point. Purdue had a remarkable freshman player whose name escapes me at this moment. And he was a problem in that game. And he ended up being a really, really good player all year long. He was one of the best players in the country, especially as a freshman. Yeah, I'll get his name here in a sec. But that was that was a huge win, and we were really excited. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we actually, I should mention, this is the first uh, football season where we had a podcast. There you go. And it was called the Missouri Sports Podcast, and we were uh, talking about, we, we Brand previewed new the season. at that point, yep. yeah. Uh, we had only had a few episodes under our belt by the time the first game rolled around and i remember previewing tennessee martin as our like first game preview and that was pretty cool interesting to think about looking back on it oh i'm trying to get this uh purdue player's name he's kind of like a wide receiver i think he's a slot wide receiver maybe well i'll get it eventually yeah Yeah, we'll find it but we can keep moving on so we broke the broke the curse. I think that was the title of our recap episode was <laughs> breaking the curse or something mm-hmm. like that. DJ Knox. Uh, no. Markel Jones. No. Nope. No. All right. He may not be in the current on their current roster. Yeah, I think he did get drafted this past uh, NFL draft. Anyway, uh, Missouri then hosted number two Georgia. 
and that game had a final score of 43 to 29 but it was actually much closer than the final score indicated um, that Georgia team ended up 11 and 3 on the season ranked 7th at the end of this end of the year and that was the Georgia game where there was a dropped ball right at the goal line that in theory would have been a 14 point swing there was also a blown call on a made field goal yeah and so those two things uh would have made a big difference when it comes to the final score at least the score well into the fourth quarter yeah they they really did put up a a good fight against georgia and honestly this was a microcosm of the entire season the entire season was just how many strange things are going to happen and um this was one of the first ones for sure rondell rondell moore yes and I had just found it right before you started talking about Georgia. But um, anyways, yeah, the, the, the swing, Christian Holmes picks up, picks up the ball in the end zone. And going back in the replay, it was close, man. I really think that you could – I really think that if they would have made the call correctly on the field, it would have stood. I, I mean, maybe, maybe they didn't call anything. I don't really know. Did, did they call a touchdown and I then flip so, yeah. it? Okay. Well, no, they called it. They called a touchdown, Georgia. Okay, right, right from the beginning. Yeah. And then when they reviewed it, they didn't have enough evidence to say that he for sure dropped the ball before crossing the goal line. That really got my hopes up, though, because they were kind of just allowing it to happen. You know, they weren't blowing the whistles. They right. weren't blowing it dead. They were just kind of letting it happen. And looking at the review, I, I really to this day feel like he he may have dropped the ball before the goal line. And yeah, the the missed field goal was Perplexing. really bizarre. Yeah. Then I think there was. A third call that was maybe a uh, Demaria Crockett fumble. I, that oh, it was an Albert O. Uh, Albert O. Oh, okay. He caught the ball. That was at the that was the very beginning of the game. He caught the ball and they called it a fumble mm-hmm. and uh, um, it looked like a, an incomplete pass for sure. Yeah. So yeah, there were there were three very monumental things and if I remember correctly, it felt like Mizzou had some momentum oh, at yeah. that point when Albert O. At the, for the Albert O. Play. There were several times where that like the big plays in that game were just were bigger i mean you look at it people hearing us talk about a 43 to 29 final score like come on guys like you got blown out like yeah but if you go back and watch that game man i really think it's a lot closer than that final score says yeah we did the math on that actual episode recap and keep in mind we were probably 10 episodes into this podcast so (laughs) it's probably maybe tough to listen to at this point but uh, as far as our speaking skills and production values go but uh, we broke down the math of the turning points in that game and showed how it was like you know a 17 point swing that made a huge difference in that game like how how could 17 points not make a difference Mm -hmm. so the Missouri had a bye and uh, by that time there was already a little bit of a thing there where Barry Odom teams kind of came out flat after a bye they went up against South Carolina on the road, also known as the monsoon game. I think when when I think of, like I said, this season, it's the season of weird occurrences, but this game against South Carolina truly defined that more than maybe any other game of the whole season. And, you know, there was there were two really key, there was the very key play with Demaria Crockett. Um, he got like a 30 or 40 yard touchdown run where he just broke it and but he was all the way down the sideline and they say that he stepped out of bounds and on the replay i swear i can see grass you see green I between his foot and the white line green and they they flipped it and said he was out of bounds and i'm still sick to this day because they didn't end up scoring on that drive no nope. and yeah then they have to go to a massive delay 
like, and like hours yes like at least an hour or two and because of the monsoon and then yeah. they were playing terribly in the rain and i mean they were doing everything right before they were oh, yeah. they were doing they were playing very well they were kind of cruising and then the defense couldn't stop I believe another backup quarterback. I believe Drew Locke threw a terrible pick six in that game too. Like it threw it, he threw like a screen pass to it right to a defensive end, oh, and gosh. just stuff like that. Man, I don't know. It was like how, I can't believe we just lost this. Yeah, I do believe that was another backup quarterback uh, that came in and won the game for South Carolina. Uh, then Missouri played at number one Alabama, and that didn't go too well. Thirty-nine to ten was the final score, but we didn't really think too much of that at the time. Maybe we went to a home game against Memphis. We definitely went to that. Okay, there we go. Good job. They won that game 65-33. to 33. And not much to say about that one. That was a blowout. They, the offense really flexed their muscles a little that bit. That first quarter, there was a couple moments where it was kind of like one of those things where the offense could show that they were going to win with ease if they needed to, but the defense had their, their struggles where I think Memphis tied it at 21-all or mm-hmm. something at mm-hmm. one point, and then uh, Mizzou turned on the, uh, turned on the burners, but... Uh, I think Alberto had three touchdowns in that game. He was really good. Uh, third quarters for Missouri were a thing this year, this 2018 season, where in their wins, they would kind of just explode in the third quarter and pull away a little bit. And it was like, okay, yeah, this is what we want to see. Kyle, this brings us to a home matchup against then number 12, Kentucky. And you said last week we were kind of going through these seasons in our minds, and you said out loud, oh, I know that. We were, we were trying to find our highest point and lowest point of the Barry Odom era, and you said out loud, oh, I think that's my lowest point for sure. And I thought, I think he's talking about the Kentucky game. There's two different low points that I think of during the Barry Odom era, and one, and they're a little bit different kinds of low points and uh, one of them was the purdue game in 2017 when we lost 35 to 3 we talked about that last week and that was like the lowest point where i just felt like i don't i I don't care that this is awful like where they were they were the worst team ever but this low point was more just like the saddest i've ever been in my life (laughs) (laughs) like i've never felt more just like i'm so depressed and I feel like I can't move. I'm so sad because of how that game ended. And there was a, a couple of different wrinkles with that game. I remember Kelly Bryant was visiting for that yes. game, so I really wanted us to to play well to impress Kelly Bryant. And obviously that didn't end up mattering. But the defensive choices at the end of this game were the most mind-boggling thing I've ever seen. And the penalties yeah. that we got in those last, you know, couple plays or whatever, just, like, still infuriate me. And then, of course, the horrendous call in the end zone that gave uh, Kentucky an untimed down. And you just knew once that had happened, like, when they were lining up for that untimed down, I was like, well, this game's over. Mm-hmm. They're going to score. I think one of, yes, I think one of the strangest, like, strategy things of the Barry, Barry Odom era were, happened in this game when you know Kentucky's driving they've got one more chance to score they that it was like a super low scoring game Kentucky's yep. offense can't do anything all game right they Missouri but, was shutting down Benny Snow but they went into this insane like prevent defense where they all they had like a bunch of guys on the line and left the entire middle of the field wide open and Kentucky just threw a quick little slant and got like 20 or 30 free yards like it never occurred to them 
like there was some unwritten rule or a handshake agreement that they just we're gonna put all of our guys way back off the line except for a few they're gonna be on the line just don't throw a quick pass yeah like gentlemen's agreement don't throw a quick pass here it was like they yeah they sold out for a blitz and then everyone else that wasn't blitzing was a hundred yards back yeah and you could look at it ahead of time and be like just throw it to that guy over there and yeah. you'll have 30 free yards. Yeah. There's and that's exactly what happened. like a picture of that formation that I see surface on Twitter every once in a while because it's just baffling. Like, what were they thinking on defense there? And there was only like, a, you know, there was less than a minute left in the game, mm-hmm. and Kentucky had half the field to go, and they, they easily but got... But it wasn't a last play of the game situation. No, not at like, all. There was... They yeah. didn't have to get in the end zone right there. No, not at They'd all. They'd be happy to take 30 free yards. They did, yeah. and that's exactly what they did, and, and put them in perfect range of scoring, and still... Even after that, Missouri still should have won that game. Yeah. But they had some backbreaking penalties that were quite very questionable. And the one in, in the end zone where I think it was Demarcus AC maybe was guarding like a big tight end or something and yeah. called pass defensive pass interference and got the end time down. Yep. I'm getting emotional. <laughs> I remember uh showing that to my wife who doesn't really follow sports all that much. Um definitely doesn't know the intricacies of rules of uh football. And I showed her this and she, but she knows, you know, what pass interference is. And I said, okay, you got three options. It's a no call. It's offensive pass interference or it's defensive pass interference. Like rank them on what you think should be called in this situation. And she really doesn't have too much of a Mizzou bias, not in the way that I would. And she was like, well, she, she ranked them offensive pass interference, no call defensive pass. That's exactly how I would rank it too. And obviously I am biased, but I mean, he completely reached over the, over AC's back, and and uh, just one of those moments where you're dealing with human refs who make mistakes and see something happen, and the I you know the pressure of that moment. I mean, think about fans. We all we have invested is wanting the team to win. The players, obviously, in a huge moment like that, they're going to be feeling something. The coaches are. The refs have to be as well, and they're just probably over analyzing it in their head and just thinking about all the scenarios that could come to play in the next 15 seconds that this play occurs Mm -hmm. and just get a little trigger happy with that flag and have you ever refed anything before i at any level i have refed little kid youth basketball like one time i did too i I refed like a few games of like of like fifth graders playing basketball it was it was kind of hard. Yeah, I was like, kind of afraid to blow the whistle because I was like, then I, then I have to like announce why I blew the whistle. So right. I was like, I don't really want to have to do that. So <laughs> just I let just everything I go. pretty much just let everything go. But uh, it, I'm sure, like you said, I I want to be understanding. Like that's an incredibly difficult job, and that's a lot of pressure. But that, I mean, they made some horrendous calls yeah. at the end of that game. Yeah. And so in the kinda, moment, kind of broke. Yeah, broke Missouri. I think a little bit there. And. Uh, you know, in the moment, we're thinking, well, there goes Kelly Bryant. Yeah. And uh, there goes, you know, now. I mean, we- they had a chance to beat a top, t- almost top 10 team yeah. at home. And uh, an SEC East team, it, it's important in the standings. And uh, that could have been a huge, huge win, uh, but couldn't get it done. And it felt like they did enough to win that game. Because, I mean, Benny Snell, one of the best running backs in the in the SEC that year, if not the best. Yeah, like you said, really held him in check. The offense couldn't do anything though, and because yeah. Kentucky had a fantastic defense. Right, right. Um, Missouri though was unfazed by the by the uh, 
heartbreaking loss because they went and rattled off four wins in a row. They went on the road at Florida, number 13, Florida, and gave it to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, 38 to 17. Yeah. And it was never really that close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's very kind of was in control the whole time. An obvious high point for oh, yeah. Barry Odom era. I mean, not nothing even came close. That was the signature win of his career going on the road, playing in the swamp, which we've talked about on this podcast many times, how Florida has ever since we've been in the SEC, Florida has never seemed that scary. Mm-hmm. They always have a pretty good ranking. They always have so-so quarterback play. They have some of the best cornerbacks in the country and Drew Locke just carved them up yeah. in that game. Yeah. They always have a good defense, uh, or at least since Missouri has been in the SEC, they've had a good defense and, you know, uh, can't always move the ball too well. And Missouri just took advantage of everything that Florida was lacking in this matchup. They and definitely looked like a top 15, top 20 team, maybe even better. Uh, yeah. Missouri did in that game. Yeah. Uh, then played a little bit close, uh, closer game at home against Vanderbilt than probably anybody would have liked. I think uh, that was one of those 11 a.m. games where they were probably sleepwalking through it. Yeah, only won that one 33 to 28, but then went on the road at Tennessee and for the second year in a row beat the Volunteers f- exactly 50 to 17. Yeah. So exerted their dominance over the SE East opponent there. And then uh, finished the season at home by shutting out Arkansas 38-0 to zero, uh, to get them their eighth win of the season. That was an ugly game in a good way. It yeah. was like pouring down rain. The field was destroyed. Arkansas was absolutely awful. Yeah, it's one great. of the worst teams Arkansas has potentially ever had. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. And as nice as it was to go on that little four-game winning streak and beat Florida, I just remember thinking, I just remember looking back at the Georgia game, but to a greater extent, the South Carolina game and the Kentucky game, and looking at that record and saying, we should, this is a 10 and two team. I agree. And there were no, there weren't really the Vanderbilt game, maybe, but you know, you, you always have that written down as a win Mm -hmm. in the preseason of that season. And going into the bowl game, which was against Oklahoma state, I remember being furious that we were playing what I perceived as a not very good Oklahoma State, like a middling Big 12 team. Felt like not a great bowl draw for Missouri. Yeah, and I was like, Missouri is so much better than this bowl game and, of course, end up losing you know, to Oklahoma State. And I honestly have very little memory of this game. I, I don't have a lot of memory of it. Um, I Bowl games are weird. You know, I think a lot of it comes to just the motivation of players and like how bad do you want it it's not always a good representation of how good you probably were that season just because you take a month off and come back and play some random big 12 team and you probably don't care that much yeah the entire team has time to reflect on the season yeah and either be and and potentially be disappointed right i mean even as as fans we were kind of like whatever this bowl game like this should have been a 10 win team we should have been looking at you know a new year's uh, six bowl for sure prestigious opportunity there and you know obviously we're fans and it's a different mindset when you're on the team in a in any capacity but you know if there's any of that creeping in and you're looking if you're an underclassman looking forward to next year if you're looking ahead to the nfl draft or anything like that then just a recipe for disaster in a bowl Mm -hmm. game and yeah so well story time here's uh kyle tweeting again maybe (laughs) i just need to have the phone taken away from me and and football games and stuff because i get emotional but um, it was actually right when I found out who we were going to be playing that year, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I tweeted some like angry thing, like like we deserve a you know a better bowl opponent, and then of course we get our butts handed to us, you know, and 
it was just like, of course we did. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, I had faith in Barry, man, and I shouldn't have. And, um, ultimately I think these are the kind of moments that like we wanted to see go in our favor. Then this just seemed to never, never happen. Yeah. You know, we were in those close games and felt like, you know, weird stuff would happen. And at some point it's uncontrollable maybe, but at some point you have to, you got to win. You got to pull some of these close games out. You got to pull some of these bowl games out. And that was just kind of something that never seemed to happen at any point in the four seasons. Yeah. It was a recurring thing that we would talk about on the show where in an individual game, it seemed like the team was incapable of bouncing back from adversity within one game. Yeah. Something would happen that was, considered disastrous and then they just They'd couldn't overcome apart. it yeah but then from game to game they were the opposite yeah they, they could bounce back they get their hearts ripped out against yeah. kentucky and then went out yeah. after that you know it was just it was really weird yeah yeah definitely something we couldn't explain but also something that definitely went into barry odom's career at missouri ending when it did but it wasn't quite over yet because we did have the 2019 season with new quarterback Kelly Bryant and that was for me probably let me check my notes here the high point of the Barry Odom era was when (laughs) Kelly Bryant announced I mean I it's giving me flashbacks to you know one of the highest points in Mizzou basketball recently in recent years is Michael Porter Jr. announcing that he's coming to Missouri yeah like how awful is it that those are high points of just players saying that they're coming to the school especially when you look at what ends up happening in both of those situations it really was though you know we were going toe-to-toe with some pretty big competition i remember auburn was making a a big push at the end and arkansas um, was in on it which was kind of yeah because arkansas had some connections with their coach you know with him and everything so uh but you know all along it kind of felt like this makes sense for kelly bryant yeah uh, to come here Replace Drew Locke. You know, we got a, a wide open spot at quarterback. Yeah, and we've what seemed like a pretty good team around him. He had he had weapons. He had Albert O and Larry Roundtree. He had, he had a good offense around him. Um, but it didn't exactly go how we thought it would, which seemed to be yeah, a recurring theme. Yeah. Uh, no r- real turnover in the, in the coaching staff, though. Derek Dooley returning as offensive coordinator. Ryan Walters returning as defensive coordinator. Um, and right off the bat, we get hit with the game at Wyoming. Um, Missouri loses that one 37 to 31. And we had been talking about how long until Missouri is ranked nationally. How many games do they run off in a row before they're challenged? I, I, th- I really do think I, we fully expected them to potentially go 10 and two in the season. Like in our preview, I think we both picked them ten and two yeah. to only lose to like Georgia and Florida or, or something yeah. or whoever something close to that some yeah. other good team yeah yeah we were thinking you know we were looking at potentially eight and zero going Until into the Kentucky get, game yep. I think that that was a very like uh, popular prediction with they might be undefeated going even into the Georgia and, game yeah we were, we were talking about oh maybe college game day at Georgia Mizzou Georgia. Two undefeated teams, potentially. Two top ten undefeated teams. It's almost embarrassing to think about. But we were definitely not the only ones. I can oh, promise no. you that. There were people with 
podcast, not that that means a whole lot considering <laughs> who you're listening to right now, uh, that picked them to win 11 games. <laughs> that just give anybody a podcast. Anybody with a mic. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it was not irrational to think Missouri was going to have a legitimately special season. No, it really, and honestly, we'll get to this, but it still felt like after that Ole Miss game, it still felt like we could have a really special yeah. season. That but, non-conference loss, you know, could yeah. just be... It was it was definitely, like, crippling. Yes. But it wasn't like... The season was not over yeah. at that point. It didn't count in the SEC East standings. I mean, you, there was still an SEC championship appearance potentially to play for. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to talk more about that Wyoming game, though, because what a mess. And just like a uh, nightmare just watching that game and it always kind of felt like okay we'll be fine yeah we'll be fine yeah it's kind of like any minute now they're gonna yeah they're gonna they'll, turn they'll, it on they'll, they'll take over and they ended up getting down by double digits i think in the fourth quarter maybe the third quarter and had that amount to come back to even be close at the end so i'm sure i said this when we recapped this game uh last year but I was in a setting with a bunch of family members who were not interested in the game. Oh, man, that's the worst. And I'm watching this game, and I had to field multiple questions along the lines of, what's going on to Missouri, with Missouri? Oh, that's the classic. What's, what's happening here? What's oh, going on thought, here? thought Missouri was supposed to win this game. And I'm like, yeah, they'll, they'll be okay. You know, for the first half, I'm saying, ah, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. No big deal. And then... I just wanted to die in the third quarter when it looked like all hope was lost. But all hope wasn't lost because Missouri needed to mount a little comeback and look like they were going to take the lead one more time until Kelly Bryant couldn't see Alberto wide open for the game-winning touchdown. It just didn't happen. Yeah, I do remember Jonathan Nance. He was the a grad transfer wide receiver that kind of came in with Kelly Bryant. Actually, they... They had a huge touchdown play that gave that put Missouri in a chance to potentially win that, uh, put them in position to have a chance to win it, but uh, just fell short. Yeah. And I think there was one crazy play in that game where they, Missouri was like on the one yard line, and Kelly Bryant or somebody something happened on the snap. They fumbled the snap or something, and, and yeah, and it got returned all the way to the other like five yard line. Kelly Bryant ran him down and made the tackle to save a touchdown. I think actually Wyoming ended up only getting a field goal. You might be right, but either drive. way, that was a huge swing. Oh, yeah. And I, again, right off the bat, right off the right off the heels of this weird season, here's another just a, almost unexplainable occurrence. Yeah. How could this possibly happen? Like, how often do you see something like that? where they fumble on the one yard line i think there were two fumbles by missouri with inside their own five yard line i think larry roundtree had one at the goal line as well right that wasn't quite as disastrous but um, it's kind of crazy that we can just like recall this off the top of our heads (laughs) because i've tried to forget this man oh man it's just like burned in there now wyoming went on to win eight games that year they were not a bad team but uh still i mean first of all my question will always be why go to laramie yeah and you got to win that game. You, you just have to win. Shout that out game. to Miz Chris on uh, Twitter saying that he would walk to the game if Kelly walked to Wyoming if Kelly Bryant chose Mizzou, and then some people still say that he cursed that game uh, by not following up on his obvious joke. <laughs> Maybe someday we'll have to have him on the podcast and ask him and confront yeah. him about yeah. it. I'm sure he hasn't heard enough about it yet. 
uh, Missouri turned around in what I thought was potentially a statement game saying that, you know, we're not going to be held down by this Wyoming loss all season. They beat West Virginia at home. I think we were at that game. We definitely were. Okay. <laughs> that was like the, uh, the South end zone. Um, we were pretty low. Debut. Almost, debut. There yeah. you go. Almost. Yeah, there. yeah. Yeah, we were. We were like in the first probably five-ish rows maybe yeah. off the field. Yeah. And then I think we did go over to the South End Zone and watch mm-hmm. a little bit of it. At Check the it end. out. Yeah, we got to see a beautiful uh, Nick Bolton pick six uh, mm-hmm. from the South End Zone. That was like a coming out party for, for yeah. Nick Bolton. I think, I mean, Kale Garrett may have had a crazy. Maybe there was like two pick sixes in that game. It's very possible. Kale Garrett scored like three touchdowns in the first four weeks of the season. Yeah. Yeah, and Kelly Bryant looked very good in this game. Yeah. He he was making good decisions, uh, making good throws. What we didn't know at the time was West Virginia was terrible. Uh, <laughs> they nearly finished outside the top 100 in SP+. Plus. Yes. Only won five games. So not as impressive looking back on it, but yeah. Uh, beat SEMO 50-0. to zero. Who cares? Uh, beat South Carolina 34-14 to 14 at home. And... Uh, you know, get your first SEC win under your belt. I had a work event. I have a work event every Saturday every, of every year. It's like an annual banquet that I have to attend. And it seems like every year it falls on like a big SEC game. And it was a South Carolina game this year. My wife, I was watching like the first quarter or something. And then I delete the house. My wife sends me a text of like a play. She filmed the TV <laughs> of a huge play. And it was the Ronnell Perkins, like 104 yard yep. pick six. Yep. And that was one of the biggest plays of the whole season. I yeah. think that was that was a huge play. That was a huge win yeah. for Missouri. Yeah. Uh, then uh, Missouri had a bye week and hosted Troy. So we there were some uh, social media hijinks after this one. <laughs> yeah. um, Missouri won forty-two to ten, but a Troy player had a dirty hit. I'm just going to call it a dirty hit on Kelly Bryant that looked awful yes, in real did. time looked awful yeah thank goodness it was not it just wasn't even close to what we thought it could have been uh but it was not pretty and it was kind of shameless and there was a lot of back and forth between mizzou fans and troy fans on twitter after that one was there a troy player even or no it was a former it was a former, former troy kicker. kicker yes that i personally was going back and forth with a little bit and i'm pretty sure a lot of other people in the mizzou fan base were as well um yeah troy was making some really interesting plays they were they were definitely doing some some dirty stuff mm-hmm. and i honestly can't even really remember individual instances but i remember there were several times where i was like okay i think there was a, a late hit that got flagged mm-hmm. separately yeah from the um kelly bryant one mm-hmm. but also this game will always live in infamy because it was kale garrett getting hurt and we didn't even know it in the yeah. game he he finished out the game with like a torn pectoral yeah. or muscle or something and then we found out the next day and when we started hearing rumors about that man that was that was really really sad yeah because yeah like you said i mean after the troy game uh missouri sitting at four and one you know won their only sec game so far kind of the heart and soul of the defense yeah and nick bolton and kale garrett playing out of their minds you know best linebacker duo in the nation up to this point and that was just such a blow and i mean he was having his career's he, over yeah he was on pace to have one of the best probably the best linebacker season in mizzou history potentially and little did we know nick bolton was just going to pick up right where he left off and have his own monster season 
But uh, can you imagine both of those guys though playing as well as as they had been the whole year? I mean, it's crazy how good they were. Yeah. Uh, Missouri then played at home against Ole Miss. Did we go to that game? We did. That okay. was homecoming. Yeah. All right, cool. It was that. I mean, that was really fun. We you know we went and had dinner before and just like being amongst the fans and at homecoming. That was that was a really really fun night. So help me out. I'm losing my mind with the timeline of things. Was that the Mizzou, was that the open practice? Yeah, yes. not that was Mizzou the Madness. Non-Mizzou Madness. Okay. Yeah, we went to the open practice before um, the the football game because the timing was a little bit weird on the homecoming game. It wasn't a night game, right? So it started the Ole Miss game started at. I thought it was started at like six, didn't it? Yeah. I can't remember. What, yeah. why, what was the issue? I guess the issue before. was it was an evening game. Oh, gotcha. And typically we had gone yeah. to Mizzou Madness. Because the year before, in Memphis was like a 11 yeah. kickoff. Yeah. And they just had Mizzou Madness right after that. Yeah. Yeah, I remember now. And this is the game where um, I don't remember his name, but the, they had two quarterbacks that were both kind of scary. They mm-hmm. both had some serious wheels. Yep. Um, they were making some good plays, and Ole Miss was a, was a pretty good team. Um, had a decent defense, but two good young quarterbacks. Um, but Missouri played really well in this game. They, I, know, I remember Ole Miss scored the, for, the first touchdown, but Missouri just fought back, and Kelly Bryant had a good game and made some big plays. And uh, we kind of fell on top of the world a little bit after this win. You and know? then the season ended. Missouri was 5-1. and one. Everything and was great. Roll of credits. Yep. Uh, undefeated in the SEC East, so you go to the SEC championship game. Or... You lose your next five games and you have the third five game losing streak out of four seasons as a head coach and it started at vanderbilt lost that one 21 to 14 this might be the most that might be the most infamous like backup quarterback situation yeah. i mean a guy that barely played at all yeah. or like oh i i actually remember feeling like this feels fishy yeah <laughs> yeah and uh just Missouri's offense at that point something happened yeah there was something that happened that caused the offense to just not be able to do anything the rest of the season yeah it just totally flipped yeah like a a switch uh Kelly Bryant there was rumors that he wasn't 100% healthy down the stretch um so they lost this game at Vanderbilt got beat pretty bad only scored seven points at Kentucky had a bye week before they played number six Georgia Lost that one 27 to zero. So another shutout at the hands of Georgia. Then uh, Florida got their revenge. Missouri lost that one 23 to six at home. Then lost to Tennessee 24 to 20. A bad Tennessee team. Those first four games, they scored 27 points collectively in those four games. I scored bar- 38 against Ole Miss. Yeah. I barely remember the Georgia game, to be honest. Uh, we were together for the Kentucky game, and that was very sad seeing Lim, Lynn Bowden. Like, they literally had a wide receiver play yeah. quarterback because they had so many injuries. And he ran for like 3,000 yards. I, I think so, yeah. <laughs> At least. <laughs> Maybe more. And, uh, yeah, that that was just like, what is happening here? Yeah. But good teams. You know, 8-win right. Kentucky team, 12-win Georgia team, 11-win Florida team. Tennessee apparently better than I remembered, but I they they definitely kind of made a, a comeback um, in that season. It's a good second half of the season. And then uh, Missouri was able to finish out the season winning against Arkansas. That was uh, Connor Bazelak 
Yep, that yep. was that takes us pretty much up to up to now as far yeah. as games go. Connor Bazelak looked really good towards ACL, but yeah. he uh, he had some really good moments in that game and kind of gave us some hope. But now we didn't. Uh, one big storyline of that whole season was a postseason ban. Yeah, we didn't really talk about that. So yeah. uh, that was a thing that carried. There was no decision th- through the beginning of the season, through several games being played, and then it was announced that uh, Missouri's appeal would uh, was no good, and uh, they would have to serve a postseason ban. So even though they did uh, end up getting to six wins on the season, they were not eligible for, for a bowl game. Um, At this point in the season, like with how bad everything ended up being and how disappointing the finish was and Bazelag getting hurt, I was just like, I don't even care. I just like, I want yeah, this to be over. It, it was embarrassing how much we had complained about the postseason ban. And you're like, what are you talking about? It didn't you're even a matter. six-win team. Oh, yeah, you wanted to go play in the... Oh man, yeah. I don't. So what's crazy though is you know as as bad as we felt and as down as we were and disappointed, um, I'm still not sure that the Barry Odom firing at the time was unanimous. And, oh yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, take, take we me were through. torn on on the podcast. We yeah. were, you know, kind of torn on what what uh, we thought. Yeah. And I could I could go either way with it. I mean, yeah. it, it felt a little it felt a little wrong almost that I felt. You know, I remember obviously when Cam Anderson got got fired, it was like refreshing. Oh, and yeah. a lot of times that's how it feels. You know, a, a new chapter, a new beginning. And I was a holdout on on that decision. Yep. I mean, it was not until the embarrassing losses of his third season that, that I was ready. like, okay, yep, I'm fully on board with this. Yeah, and I still felt like Barry Odom had a, had enough promise at times in his tenure that we were like, I think this can work. You know, I think that we can make this work if we just have a few things go our way if we just flip you know a couple of these losses you know we, we would have had a 10-1 season or you know we had so many of those moments where we we're so close but again I just think that it just didn't quite click enough and and, and so it was that's why it makes sense it was against they just couldn't do it against good teams yeah just couldn't get the job done one win yeah one win that sticks out where you're like Yes, that Mizzou team under Barry Odom was able to just go be a good team. That was against Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and especially like seeing how promising Drew Locke looks now, even after his first season in the in the NFL, it's kind of like, man, how is Missouri not better with him? Yeah. You know? And uh, I think one thing that he had going for him, that Barry Odom had going for him, was there had been a solid improvement his last two seasons on the defensive side of the ball. And you could really see that he had his guys in there, you know, Nick Bolton carrying the tor- the torch from uh, Kale Garrett. And, you know, obviously that injury to Kale Garrett was just monumental for that season. But you know, it doesn't matter how good the defense was going to be if Kale Garrett was healthy. Whatever happened to the offense that caused them to just fall apart down the stretch, I don't know. I, it's hard to put all of that on Barry Odom, even today, you know, looking back on it. And now it's much easier for us now after seeing the initial recruiting class that Eli Drinkwitz has brought in um it's it's easy to feel good about what happened now but at the time I I definitely don't blame anyone for feeling a little bit uncertain about the future and um I think it was good that they fired him when they did they just I think they knew what they wanted to do and they made it quick and they went out and and started looking for the next coach but there were some oddities in that story I mean there was reports coming out that Barry Odom had told 
a few people that he was gone, that he was getting fired, and he was kind of operating in that mindset before actually ever being told that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think maybe you're dealing with two people that maybe weren't seeing eye to eye in Barry Odom and Jim Sterk, and just neither one of them, maybe both were a little bit prideful and didn't want to uh, cede any ground to each other. And I, I do think a, a big factor also was Barry Odom's agent, Jimmy Sexton, who obviously represents a, a large portion of Division One coaches, but I definitely think there was some uh, a schism in between uh, Jim Sterk and, and Jimmy Sexton. Yeah. So, And I, that definitely did not help Barry Odom at all. Right. And yeah, just the fact that Jim Sterk didn't hire Barry Odom, yeah. uh, you know, he didn't feel tied to him mm-hmm. in the way that he would with Conzo Martin, for mm-hmm. example. It, and just always feel it's always sad that you to fire a, a true son, you yeah. know, and, and that's the that's the risk you take when you hire one yeah. is this is may not end well, because a lot of times in sports, things don't end well. And nobody wants that guy to fail. Yeah. I mean, nobody wanted Kim Anderson to fail. Maybe yeah. maybe a few outliers did. I, I meant probably maybe after a little after a few games, maybe, but maybe um, after the first loss to UMKC. Yeah, don't remind <laughs> me. But yeah, I, I I think everybody wanted Barry Odom to be successful. Of course they did. And uh, you know, I looking forward to Barry Odom's future. It's really weird seeing him at Arkansas, but you know, I, I still hope for the best for him. And um, I think he's gonna do a really good job there. I, I think. And maybe you know, maybe he'll be a good uh, head coach somewhere someday. But I definitely think he was kind of learning on the fly at Missouri, and it might have been in over his head a little bit. Um, and yeah, the parallels I, to Kim Anderson continue. I mean, yeah. not hiring a guy who had, had no head coaching experience except yeah. high school. Yeah, didn't have the recruiting connections at least Kim Anderson. But you know, Barry Odom, I think he's I think he's definitely a football guy. I mean, he's he's a good coach. He'll be a, a really good coordinator. Maybe a good head coach someday. Um, but I, I, I really do think he, he could be fantastic at Arkansas. Um, when he was hired, one of our friends asked us how we felt about that and like our feelings about rooting for Barry Odom to be successful. And I, the best way I can put it is I hope Arkansas loses every single game they play three to zero. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he has an excellent defense, but they lose every single game because I don't want Arkansas to win. I hate Arkansas. <laughs> I still deep down i want barry odom to be successful i want him to get another shot at head coach at a, at a head coaching job and uh, al- along with not being able to win against good competition he also was just not getting it done on the recruiting trail um kelly bryant was a big get and there were guys that he there were some diamonds in the rough you know alberto um but then there were just guys that it just seems like we're in that mizzou wheelhouse mm-hmm. you know some of the mid-tier guys in the state and uh i think he just had a, a difficult time like exciting recruits on on like a vision and uh and yeah he definitely got some re- some great diamonds in the rough i'll never forget the story about kale garrett where uh you know literally i think it was like the day before signing day they were like he was gonna go to navy I think. yeah he yeah. was committed to navy and they and and uh barry odom turned to one of his ass- assistants and said how do you feel about kale garrett and they they made him an offer and uh that that was a wonderful recruiting get and you know nick bolton and a lot of those guys you know he, he brought in some great talent that are that's still at missouri right now um and yeah his, his defense always got better um it took a while and there was some some rough patches but you know you could tell that barry odom was definitely 
implementing what he wanted to happen, at least on the defensive side. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was, and yeah. that's what he'll continue to do. Yep. It was trending in the right direction. And so, yeah, he'll have a defense. Uh, he won't have to worry about some of the managerial yes. duties as of a head coach. You and, can tell that was his weak point. Yeah. And, and may, and that's obviously something that can change in the future if he ends up being a head coach again, but or just having that experience. Yeah. You can tell help. he, he was in over his head with some of the, uh, the game management type, type things, the, managing the game clock some of those things you know he just had probably hadn't had to do before or hadn't had to had to do in a while yeah there were some weird clock things every once in a while um one thing that i do want to point out is uh people that were pro barry odom did like to bring up a comparison to the first four years of gary pinkle's tenure and how there were areas where barry odom was better i mean the only place that I mean, their overall records were very similar their conference records were very similar. Um, Barry Odom had more games against teams with a winning record, but fewer wins. Mm-hmm. And so the winning percentage against winning teams in their first four years, that was one of the only places where Gary Pinkle had the edge. And it's not surprising that that's something we look back on at a big deficit for Barry Odom's teams with just not being able to get over the hump and not being able to really upset anybody. Or even if... Missouri was a good team and they were playing a good team. It just seemed like they would just let them, let them slip, slip out of their hands, mm-hmm. let go of wins that just turned into losses at the last second. And just the unbelievable amount of unexplainable events, I think will be the thing that always sticks with me is just like that. I I've never seen that in like all my life, except for in a Missouri football game. Yeah. yeah definitely some weird occurrences that were not easily explained. Anything else about Barry Odom? Good old Barry. Good old Barry. I think that's uh, I think that sums up pretty nice. Um, hopefully you guys enjoyed a little bit of a trip down memory lane. It seems crazy that we've kind of it, all of that stuff from 2019 to me seems like a long time ago. Yeah. But it was literally last season. Yep. Even him getting fired. I mean, that was what December, January. Yeah. That was like six, seven months ago. Yeah. Feels like an eternity. Uh, him getting fired was pretty good for our podcast. Our two most listened to episodes ever are um, the coaching search where we outlined some potential candidates. And I think we, you had like a throwaway line for, uh, what's, the, what's the name of the head coach at Appalachian State? And I, and I just kind of had happened to have looked him up and saw that his first name was Elijah. Yeah, you were like, Elijah Drinkwitz? Yeah. Like, what is, who is this? And uh, you were just kind of like, oh. like, like that was the whole conversation. What's yep. his name? I said his name. Like, okay. <laughs> yep, when we were when we were looking for candidates, yep. yeah. Because we had kind of ran into a, a brick wall, you know, and it was kind of like every candidate that we were discussing was like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. And yeah, I said, what about that? What about that guy? And we, sure we gave, enough, we gave no analysis. No we analysis. Said his name and moved I on. I knew Appalachian State was good. Yeah. And uh, that was it. And, and we then moved on. Between that episode and next time we recorded, they had hired him. And so we were able to talk about him. That's so wild. Coaching Search and Introduction to Eli Drinkwitz are our two most listened to episodes. And when they, um, whenever there started to be rumors, you know, people started watching flights. Oh, yeah. And there was a flight <laughs> to North Carolina. Yep. And uh, people. You know, when the flight returned late that night, there were some people that confirmed Jim Sturt got off the plane, and that that was pretty exciting. That was a fun, fun night on uh, the Mizzou internet. Anytime the flight tracker is involved, I just kind of chuckle at yeah. you know, fan bases. And they were right. 
Yep. They were right. A lot of time that stuff's just kind of smoke and mirrors or just a complete oversight, but they were right that time. Imagine what kind of numbers we would do if there was a basketball coaching search. <laughs> what are you trying to say? Uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't want there to be a basketball coaching search. Oh, man. I think that's it. I think, I think that's, that's it. That's the whole Barry Odom uh, era. That's the Bo- Barry Odom era right there. That's, about, that's it. it. The Bodum. That's what I just said. <laughs> the Bodum era. Bodum era. If if I if we forgot anything, or if there's some some highlights or some lowlights that we yeah. forgot, I then yeah, we'd be happy to hear your uh, your high point and low point of yeah of the Barry Odom era for sure. If there's some one of these that impacted you in a specific way, if you were at one of these games that were heartbreaking, uh, tell us your story for we'll, sure. We'll read it next episode. Absolutely, we'll read it. We'll tell <laughs> we'll tell them all about it. Oh yeah. All Speaking right. Speaking of telling them about it, I'll tell you where you can find it. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us you can find us on uh apple podcast google podcast spotify we're on twitter we're on instagram at missouri sports pod we're on youtube you can email us at missouri sports pod at gmail.com thank you everyone for listening we will see you next week